Three, two, one. Perfect. All right, and off we go. And once again, I'm probably going to belch. <coughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to add that juicy one at the end, though. That was disgusting. Okay, so. <laughs> okay, here we go. Two generations. One passion. This is Generation Red. Welcome to episode number three of Generation Red, the kettle corn of Husker fan podcasts. I'm your sweet host, Ken. And I'm your salty host, Scott. Our hope is that this show will be like talking football in the break room at work or with your buddies at the local bar. And that means the language here is probably going to get salty at times. But just like kettle corn, we'll do our best to be mostly sweet and also bleep out the salt. Also, keep in mind that we're definitely not experts, we've never played or coached, and we don't work in sports media. We're just fans like you. So if you're up for some unpolished fun, grab a chair and maybe even some kettle corn. Pour a cup of coffee or crack open your favorite cold beverage, and let's talk Husker football. So, before we talk Husker football, how are you doing today, Scott? It's been a hot weekend. Um, Honestly, I actually just got a sunburn today. Um walking around doing <laughs> pool checks for the place that I work at. Um, I was on pool duty this weekend. Um, so I was just kind of hanging out there and my wife and I, we ended up just kind of in between my pool checks, just hung out at the pool and got myself a good sunburn, even though I put on suntan lotion. Um, but I was mm-hmm. able to drive my, I was able to drive my little Miata around. So just putted around with that all weekend and it was a good time. How about you? What was, what was your weekend like? It was it was warm today. Um, your brother-in-law and I got to spend some time out doing some recreational shooting, so that was fun, but it was warm. Thank God for the breeze and the fact that the shooting range was covered. And I discovered that the straw hats that we attempted to wear for our first straw hat segment in episode one, they do fold up high enough to hold ear protection over your ears while wearing the hat. So I'm sure you looked like a hoot. Oh, it was it was wonderbar. I looked like an Aussie without the Aussie hat, but instead with a straw Nebraska hat on the head of someone who's likely full of a lot of crap. So it worked out well. Um, the range officer wasn't too upset. He's an army vet, and uh, down the ways, once we got to the rifle range, about ten stalls down from us was a group of about four Marines who were shooting. So that was a lot of fun. What a bunch um, of nerds! Yeah, yeah, it was a good time. And, um, so yeah, that's my day, but yeah, it was hot. I didn't get sunburned like you, but I did, uh, well, we were hanging out yesterday at a, at a, uh, park in Lincoln and I didn't think I got ate up by any bugs, but yeah, there was a couple that decided to chew on my left arm. So I've been scratching those all day. Um, not that folks need to know about that, but we are human. We're not perfect. <laughs> um, and you will probably hear just how imperfect we are during this episode, folks, because, 
Uh, laundry is probably being done at one end of the yep. conversation, and there are grandkids in my house who are resisting going to sleep, though I haven't heard a whole lot of noise lately. I'm wondering if uh, your older sister and my daughter decided to ply them with uh, extra doses of Benadryl, maybe? Who knows? Uh, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm not hearing a whole lot of noise, but you might hear my refrigerator because I'm not too far away from it. But um, yeah, let's talk about... I think last time we talked, Scott, we talked a little bit about the uh, the fact that the Huskers were in the uh, regional in Fayetteville, and um, they did not win. They pushed Arkansas all the way to a final game where whoever won got to go to the Super Regional, and of course, Arkansas managed to win that. And then um, they ended up losing today to NC State, so they're not going to the College World Series, which makes me happy on one side because I thought their fans were pretty crappy in the way they treated our left fielder. Uh, but yet I'm sad because I truly do appreciate coach Dave Van Horn. Cause he's the guy that put Nebraska football or football. Good Lord. Nebraska baseball on the map back in the late nineties, early two thousands. So no Arkansas in the college world series, but NC state will be there. So congratulations to them. Yep, I really have nothing to say other than, yeah, just pretty much what you said. You know, it's a 50-50 of kind of wanted to see them go all the way because it makes us look good, um, mm-hmm. but kind of wanted to see them choke on their own uh, ego a little bit. And I don't know, that first game where NC State put like 20-something points on them, uh, I was like, good God, what? <laughs> Actually, um, I think Arkansas won the first game. Oh, 21 sorry, to sorry. Two, but then meant, the next two games, NC State managed to win by one run. Against that offense is unbelievable. Yeah, that They were able to beat them by one run in the next two games was just incredible. But yeah, yeah 21 that, to 2. That's actually that's what like, I meant to say. <laughs> that's like a football score with a safety. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? I thought, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, NC State kind of coming back and and shoving a sock down their throat was like, all right, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm cool mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. But, it was, I didn't yeah. get to see any of the games. I just kind of followed the scores, but yeah, that's, it's a shame they're not going to the college world series. Cause I do believe they were the best team in the country. That offense is just incredible. And kudos to NC state pitching staff for uh, sending them home far earlier than they expected to go. So moving on, we had, Some news this week that the college football playoff might be expanding to 12 teams, which is probably going to be a topic we'll talk about in a longer episode somewhere down the road before the season starts. But just real quick, what are your thoughts on moving from 4 to 12? Is this a money grab by the playoff committee, or is this actually a way to try to figure out how to get somebody into that national championship game that isn't? basically Alabama or Clemson. Um, I love it. I think it's awesome. Um, I think it's great that they're moving to 12 instead of eight. Um, just, they want to, they want to go bigger with it. And that's kind of how I've, that's kind of how I felt about the college football playoff is that I just would hate to see it take them 10 years before they figure out a good method for it. And it's better to have, I don't know, too many teams where you have way more of a possibility for uh, an upset um, versus 
just slowly expanding it to I don't know. It just seems like a, a bad uh a bad idea to just make sure that the smallest pool of good teams get into it. I love it. Um I think that what was it I saw uh that if they would have had this twelve team set up from the beginning of the uh, the initiation of the college football playoff that right. we would have seen thirty nine different teams in the college football playoff varying from you know the the uh the power five conferences to uh you know something like a u c f you know that would have been incredible to see teams like that get in so um i initial thought i love it but we can obviously expand on it some more but what is your kind of quick thought on the whole thing i i love the idea of giving more teams a chance to win the national title i do like that if you're going to have a playoff in my mind we should have started with either eight or 16 to begin with that's just me knowing full well what it does to the bowl season which quite frankly diminishes it and in some ways it diminishes the importance of the regular season for a lot of teams that never had a chance in the power five. Now there's plenty of teams in the group of five that would have a shot. Like for example, you and I both agree. How much would you not love to see that number? What were UCF ranked when Frost was there in 17 was like there. I know if I remember right, Auburn was ranked sixth going into the peach bowl and UCF was ranked fifth or seventh, something like that. Yeah, so I think I'd were, have to look it up, like and I should have something. done that research before we started, and that's on that's my bad. But that would have been a fun matchup to see who who UCF would have played in a playoff spot in the round of of twelve. Which I kind of like the way they have it set up, where the top four teams uh, get a bye. So there's a lot of value on the on a regular season that way, and winning your conference is valuable, and how the playoff committee sees your conference is valuable as far as how powerful it is. It might very well mean that one year the Big Ten isn't in that top four of conferences. So that means, you know, you've got ACC, SEC, um, Big 12, and Pac-12 that end up being in those top four spots, and the Big Ten has to play their way in. Um, But I think it sucks for teams like uh, BYU and Notre Dame, who could be really, really good, but they still have to play their way into that top eight because they're not in a conference. Then again, on the other side of the coin, I'm like, join a damn conference then because Notre Dame is technically an independent. They just play ACC opponents, though they're not a part of the ACC conference. So it's kind of a cluster, if you will. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, it, I think it's going to make for a lot of fun. But Unfortunately, the drawback to it is going to be the fact that the bowl games themselves, other than the ones that all those teams will play in, are going to lose a pile of revenue because people are just aren't going to be interested in going. But for the sake of our team, I could see Nebraska getting into that top 12 fairly easy in the next five years if things continue on the upward trajectory that I believe both of us think we're on. So uh, it could be fun. It could be fun. I think I like the idea. I just don't like what it might do to the bowl season, which is diminish how important it is for teams that win seven and eight games getting to go to the postseason that basically nobody but their fans are going to see. Yep. And I think that this is definitely going to be a 
wonderfully robust conversation we can have in an upcoming episode. Yep. I agree. Um, Cause yeah, there's just so many thoughts, so many theories, so many uh, speculations that we can make on it. Um, and I'm sure you and I are going to have, you know, fair, we'll, we'll, we'll agree on some grounds, but I'm sure we both are going to have our completely different, uh, takes and our perspectives of, of mm-hmm. like me, I don't care about bowl games. Um, <laughs> uh, I I don't know. You haven't I, had too many bowl games to care about in your time as a Husker fan, to be honest. No. There, there's and, a big difference between what I have witnessed throughout the years in bowl games and how important they were versus what you have witnessed. So there, there's definitely going to be a generational viewpoint, which is important. That's why we started this podcast, specifically yeah. to get the generational viewpoint out there, which is valuable on both sides. Absolutely value. And we can't change what college football is going to do, but we can certainly talk about it and argue about it. And I'm cool with that. So, oh, yeah. Um, Let's do it. So, and speaking of um, other hot button topics, you know, uh, Luke has decided to transfer again. Remember hearing those cheers when he was on his way to beating Penn State, even though he had a team of other players around him who were helping? <laughs> um, yeah, I remember then, screaming. I remember screaming for him during the Iowa game when. Yeah, yeah, we were in the in the stadium, and I think Martinez thought we were booing him, but no, we were just screaming Luke, which I guess. Is oh, like that was basically the year before, the, right? Yeah, that was the year Way before. Back in the year before. Uh huh. Yeah, and we he were still screaming hadn't used Luke. his fourth game yet at that yep. year, right? Yep. yep. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's leaving. He's leaving. He's leaving um, Louisville now after four practices because he realized he's not going to be the starting quarterback. I don't know if it's the fact that he has a last name that everybody thinks uh, he should be a starter or just be whatever. I mean, his brother Christian was a badass at Stanford, but he wasn't right away. He earned that way to get there. I mean, you don't get to be the starting dude at Stanford without earning it. I mean, that's just the way it is. And uh, shoot, if he ends up transferring – God, I bet. Where do you think he ends up? I think he doesn't end up in a power five school. He's either ended up at Rice is what I've kind of heard is possible. Or, you know, he's asking daddy if he can come play at Northern Colorado, which means he's going to back up his brother anyway, who's already transferred there as a quarterback. So I don't know. For me, Luke McCaffrey was more of a wide receiver type guy that would have been great as a jackknife or switchblade or a, a jack of all trades, whatever you want to call it, kind of a, a player that could throw some quarterback in there when we needed him to. But for the most part, he's just kind of that guy that every defensive coordinator should have had to account for, like Wandale. What if you had McCaffrey out there with Wandale all the time? And then it wasn't just on Wandale's back, but that's just me. I think he's uh, barking up a tree that he's probably not going to reach the bottom limb on. I think he's going to end up, if he's not willing to switch positions, he's going to either end up, well, maybe he ends up at a service academy, right? Yeah, I don't. I really, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. I think, yeah, those two, Northern Colorado and Rice, are the only teams that I'd seen in just comments on YouTube or whatever. Um, and yeah, the other, the other take that, I mean, I had this take, I posted it on her Facebook page about that. He could be a good, yeah. Jack, you know, Jack of all trades, a special little Swiss army knife that. There we go. That's the one I was looking for. Swiss army knife, Jack knife, switchblade. Good Lord. Hey, you know, whatever. Um, (laughs) 
And actually, I was struggling to think of it too, and it just rolled off the tongue right as I said it. So you know that was a that was a competence win there. But uh, yeah, you know, if he could have been our Husk R, you know, a replace for a Wandale or something, mm-hmm. you know, inside slot receiver guy that can just wheel around and you know mm-hmm. misdirection, you know, double, triple, reverse, you know, crazy stuff that he can really use his legs. Um, mm-hmm. Cool, but. You know, mm-hmm. whatever he if he's not willing to to see a spade when he's being called a spade, then you know he can just jack. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, and hat tip by the way to the uh, Go Big Redcast guys for the Husk R position because I just don't like calling it a duck R either. But it looks like Torre is going to play that this year, so that's going to be yes. fun. Yes. Yes. Anyway, folks, we didn't want to just sit here and talk Husker for baseball or the playoff or Luke McCaffrey because Luke's gone. It is what it is. He made his choice. We're here to talk about our top fives. And what we mean by that is our top five games uh, that we lost that were painful for us to see, not necessarily games that uh, everybody sees as top five bad losses for the Huskers, but just the ones that we have witnessed either in person or on TV that basically broke our hearts. And then also we will follow those up with our top five most memorable wins, along with a few honorable mentions in both categories. So let's start off with the losses just to get the bad shit out of the way. So for honorable mention, Scott, I know you've got one in a loss in the last column. That's an honorable mention. What's your first one? Uh, my first honorable mention of devastating losses would have been the 2015 BYU game where they had a Hail Mary touchdown mm-hmm. win that just – I was – of course, you know, it was like the end of the game. I even remember I was on my phone and I didn't even watch it happen because I wasn't expecting anything unique to happen. I just all of a sudden heard the announcer screaming, but there wasn't any crowd going with it. So I was like, oh, this isn't good. And then I saw a touchdown on the screen. I was like, what? But yeah, I just, I had, I didn't know how to handle it. Um, it was, it was weird. It was just a weird, like, did we just lose against BYU? Okay. All right. Yeah, we did. And I was there. Yeah, you were. You um, were there. Buddy of mine had scored tickets. We were sitting about the 40-yard line, about 10, 15 rows up from the field. So it was a beautiful seat right behind a Nebraska bench. And um, there was a bunch of BYU folks sitting right next to us. Of course, we were the typical Husker fans welcoming them and hoping they telling them we hope they enjoy their time in Lincoln but not enjoy the game kind of thing. Yeah. And, oh, my God, grown men, five of them, all sitting right next to me, all around me. When that Hail Mary was complete, we're screaming like little schoolgirls. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, my, this is this is what you people do in BYU. Is this what your stadium sounds like when something great happens? Holy sounds crap. Sounds like a Justin Bieber concert. Anyway, <laughs> it just, yeah, it was like, it was so... So annoying. It was like, 
can you guys just leave now? Because we sat there. It took us a good two minutes, even while they were doing the review. You know, my buddy Steve looks at me and I look at him and I'm going, yeah, that was that was a touchdown. He goes, I can't believe it. I'm like, yeah, this might be a long year. Oh, how little did we know just how long that year was. So, yeah, I remember that game quite well. Um, for me, my first honorable mention is uh, the 1996 Arizona State game, which you would have been about two, maybe a little younger. Um, that was coming off of three years in a row in which Nebraska went undefeated in the regular season and the only loss before that game in uh, Tempe in 1996 was to Florida State in the Orange Bowl when if Nebraska kicks that field goal at the end, they win a national championship. So we could have been three-peat at that point um, coming into the ASU game. So, And I just remember ASU went right down the field on their first drive and scored on the Blackshirts. The Blackshirts, the Grant Wistrom, Jared Tomich, all those badasses on the defensive line, Blackshirts. And it was like, oh no, please God, tell me this isn't. And then the defense was great the rest of the game. The problem was the offense never showed up, gave up three safeties. And uh, it just was 19 to nothing. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe what I had just watched. And, uh, and then watching the press conference afterward with all the players sitting up there, they couldn't talk. They're crying. They just, they were like, we can't believe we're the ones that gave up the streak and, uh, broke my heart. Absolutely broke my heart. And then, you know, <laughs> of course that'll lead to my next honorable mention, but I know you've got another one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I really don't have another one, um, other than just like, just kind of a, a thought, which is I had to sit there and think about memorable losses in the last, let's say half decade, um, or decade, actually, mm -hmm. let's just say full decade. Cause that includes the Mike Riley era and the end of the Bo Pelini era and the Scott Frost era. And honestly, anything that had to do with Mike Riley just wasn't worthy of any, any mentioning, uh, in any sort of official capacity. However, I do think the pinnacle of the Mike Riley deconstruction of anything and everything Husker football was our loss to Northern Illinois. Yeah. That was just a head scratcher, a face palm, a face desk. I just could, whatever I could smash my face into that would cause the most pain. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't even amount to how just humiliating it was. Uh, just, it was just so humiliating. And I think it was the catalyst to the disintegration um, of our 2017 season, whatever that was, a dumpster fire at best. Um, but it was whatever. It was, however, kind of what led us to hiring Frost. And seriously, though, all of the Frost losses are just impossible to count um, because there's just so many um, that 11 of the 20 Frost losses that we've had at this point have been by a touchdown or less. It's like, how do I right. how do I begin to sift through 11 essentially heartbreaking losses to figure out which ones to include? Um, I would say the Iowa ones probably hurt the most, mainly because they're, they're Iowa. And for me personally, that's kind of more of where I find, uh, a, a, an emotional rivalry with right now. Um, but I would also say that the loss against Troy was, was pretty bad. Um, 
But yeah, we were there for that. That event. yes, and it was so hot. It was hot. And miserable. We were on the we were on the, the south team. side of the stadium, and the sun was just beating <laughs> on us. There was no breeze. It was just. Or were we on the north side of the stadium? I can't remember. I think we it was the, the south side because the north. We were we were facing we were facing the jumbotron, so it would have been the south yes, side. Yes, it was. South. And we had that drunk guy like two rows. Oh, up I forgot about the drunk guy. Wouldn't shut. He just said he was he like, "Get rid of the zebras, hunt the zebras." It was like, bro, mm-hmm. shut up. But well, it was like the first twenty minutes he got into the stadium was all about, dude. This is the place to be on a Saturday afternoon in the fall. Blah 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 blah. blah. And I'm like, okay, man, back it down just a level because this might not be a fun day because Adrian ain't starting. Our number two quarterback hasn't been cleared to play by the NCAA yet, so this might not be a fun day. And it wasn't. No. It was what it was. It wasn't fun. Um, so, yep. Um, Anything else you want to say about? Um, yeah, just uh, to finish off, I'll just cap it off, and then you can you can finish up kind of your your honorable mentions. I would say, yeah, the uh, the Colorado games, both of them, were just infuriating beyond comprehension. Um, like the first yeah. game. Of the series were shit nuts from the Colorado defensive side twisted Martinez's ankle um, to the second game. Uh, that was an incredible first half for Nebraska. It was like, yeah, Nebraska's mm-hmm. back. But then we just disintegrated in the second half, starting with the 96-yard flea flicker. Yeah. And just, I mean, you know, we turned right around, punched, punched him right back in the face, but then... They did the same thing, and then we just kind of sputtered out from there. So there were just so many. It was like, how do I begin to uh, to organize these? Because uh, they just had so much of an emotional toll. But in my top five, uh, those were the ones that are just ingrained the most in my memory. Um, so whenever we get to those, uh, we'll get there. But okay. For now, those are just kind of my honorable mentions. What were your? Uh, I think you have like two. I got two, two more. more. Yeah, the two more. Uh, the next one is another one from 1996, which was the inaugural Big 12 championship game. Because up through 1995, Nebraska was in the Big Eight, and they had won five uh, conference championships in a row. And I, I'm, I'm a horrible fan. Because I don't remember how many conference championships exactly that we've won. But here's how many Big 12 championships we've won. One. And that was in 1999. Or no, two. My bad. We won two. 1997 and 1999. Wow. How great a Husker fan am I? Um, yeah, 1997 we won with, Hus- with Scott Frost. And that's when we got to the Orange Bowl and beat Peyton Manning for national championship. Uh, which is not, by the way, folks, included in my memorable games as far as memorable wins are concerned. None of the national championship games are. We all know they're memorable, so let's talk about other games. Anyway, honorable mention, 1996 Big 12 championship game versus Texas. From what I understand, they call it legend on the Texas side of the line of scrimmage we call it fact on our side of the line of scrimmage is that most of the defense and half of the team basically got sick with the flu in the game in the in the week leading up to the game they mentioned it in the pregame show that the coaches were extremely nervous because the defense lacked energy the fact that we only lost that game by 10 points is a miracle because let's face it texas still had athletes 
we should have beat them by 21 easily with the offense that we had, but we were beat up. We were hurting. We were sick. So uh, I believe, I can't remember which one of your uncles, I think it was Uncle Ron and his wife Pam were at the game and they were behind the Husker bench and they said uh, that guys come off the field quite often from the defense uh, and would yak into a garbage can on the sidelines, starters. So <laughs> it was not a pretty day. <laughs> so that was painful because it kept us out. We would have gone to a national championship game. We would have played, I think we would have played Florida State or Virginia Tech. I can't remember which one was ranked behind us going into that game. But if we had won, we would have played one of those two for the national championship, which means we would have played either Michael Vick or Peter Warwick, who was the do-everything guy for Florida State. But Michael Vick was just ungodly <laughs> good as a freshman uh, that year. Uh, so that wouldn't have been an easy task chasing him around the field, especially after what the Missouri quarterback had done to us uh, later the next year in 97. We had a hard time with mobile quarterbacks. So that was my third, second honor mention. My third one would be the 2009 Big 12 Championship game versus Texas, which by all evidences, when you put that game to the eye test, there's no doubt that Nebraska was a better team. We just got bent over and taken good care of by all the folks in the Lone Star State to make sure that Texas won that game. I will believe that till the day I die because my understanding is from some of the reports that I read and some of the media reports that came out after that game, the timekeeper on the field is the official time of the game. And the official timekeeper on the field was telling the Nebraska coaches, no, there was not a second left on the clock. Even when Colt McCoy was releasing the ball, that second had already gone off the clock. The game clock, the electronic clock in the stadium was a second to two seconds behind the entire game, according to this guy. So we got screwed and uh, that was hard. But then we go to the Holiday Bowl and we did what we did to the University of Nebraska or Nebraska University of Arizona. And uh, lo and behold, the quarterback of that Arizona team ends up winning a Super Bowl with the Eagles uh, somewhere down the road. So, yeah, we can kind of put that in our bank and be happy, I guess. <laughs> so, and Colt McCoy was essentially a useless person after that. So that's OK. Yeah, he got hurt in the in the national championship game and. I think he, what, threw two passes and then he was out. So, because they hit him on the shoulder and it was a stinger and he couldn't throw throw the ball more than 10 yards. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't save memory space for irrelevancy. So, it's all good. Yeah, it was, it was painful. Listening to that game was painful because I just didn't want Alabama to win. But it's because of my, I don't know, probably unnecessary hatred for Nick Saban. Because he's basically ripped off the Nebraska model and has made it even more successful than we did. Yo, <laughs> yoink! Mostly because he got his ass kicked by us um, in nineteen ninety five and ninety six when Osborne played. Uh, when we played him, when he was at Michigan State, uh, one game was I think fifty five to ten. The next one was fifty two or fifty to ten. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, for as great as Saban is, he wasn't too good until he got his kicked by us and then he realized yeah maybe i need to change some things up so he and he's even said it publicly 
in uh, press conferences as Alabama's coach saying, yeah, there was, there was a time I got my tail handed to me by Tom Osborne and the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And I realized there's a blueprint that, that I can adopt here that would be pretty dang successful. So granted, he's not running the option. I get it. He's not doing all the stuff that Osborne did back then, but there's, there's a way of running a program that I think he's embraced that uh, I'm not sure we have since Solich got fired. There we go. We've got our, <laughs> here we are, 31 minutes in, and we've just got done with our honorable mention on the losses. Folks, this might be a double episode. We'll see what we can come up with. So let's start with your number five in the uh, losses. Yep. Number five for me would be the 2009 uh, loss against Iowa State at home. And this was also after a 31 to 10 loss at home against Texas Tech, where they just came and just showed us, showed Mm -hmm. us who's boss and... Um, I remember my mindset going into this game that we were just going to unload on Iowa State and just dominate them and beat them by three, four touchdowns mm-hmm. or something because there was just no way they were going to win the game because, you know, whatever. That's just kind of what my my younger self was thinking. And no, no, we lose to them nine to seven. We get in the end zone once and we never see it again. Um, and it was on the first quarter. So three quarters of barren right. wasteland. And from the get-go, Roy Hello, who had basically gorilla glue for arms, we yep. knew I just there was something in the air when when Hello fumbles on her first possession and we still get a touchdown uh in the first quarter, but there just wasn't anything after that. Honestly, Indomitian Sioux mm-hmm. kept that game from being a blowout. You know, go figure. But there was just so many flags. There were just I just remember the zebras were throwing a, uh, you know, get the zebras. Uh <laughs> they were throwing they were throwing flags at least at least once or twice every single possession we had. It was mind-boggling. Um a lot of it was was our fault, but there was some other things that were like, mm, I don't know about this. But yeah, the yeah. best turnover though, if I could if I could possibly at least get some some comical humor, which if you guys want to look this up and see how hilarious it is, if you just look up the full uh the full game on YouTube of the 2009 Iowa State game on YouTube, just pull it up somewhere 9-ish minutes in in the second quarter. We're in the red zone and <laughs> Zach Lee tosses it to McNeil and it gets bobbled around by like three different players before an Iowa State player like lunges at the ball and picks it off like with the tips of his fingers you know nevertheless mm-hmm. and yes it was it was pretty much at that exact moment that one specifically that I was like yeah we're not winning this game there's just not there's nothing this they're the football gods have it against us and we had eight total turnovers for that day it was just awful it was awful i remember that game distinctly because that was the one time because there was so much criticism after the texas tech loss the 31 to 10 loss that 
Pliny decided to do something different on the um, tunnel walk. Do you remember this? Yeah. The team came out arm in arm. They didn't run on the field. They had their arms across each other's shoulders, and they marched out like four by four out on the field. I'm like, oh, crap. This could be this could be an ass kicking today. And then it was exactly the opposite. To me, the comedic part of the game, do you remember the long pass that Lee threw to Niles Paul? And he's strutting on his way into the end zone. There wasn't an Iowa State player within 10 yards of him, and he just fumbles. And he couldn't get to the ball, and Iowa State player did. It was like on the six-yard line or something like that. Iowa State player gets on the ball, and I'm like, well, yeah, the 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 football gods hate us today, and there's nothing we can do about it. It just it it was what it was, and God, that game sucked. Um, yeah, I'm I'm glad I wasn't in Memorial Stadium for that one because I seriously looked into getting tickets to go. I was going to surprise you with them, and I'm really damn glad I didn't. Now, yeah, I would have <laughs> so. been, I would have been just so disappointed <laughs> i don't even know any other word that could describe it like dad i'm yeah, disappointed it was miserable <laughs> yeah <laughs> why did you choose this game for me dad why why would you do this to me yeah i hear you yeah so uh so what was so, your uh what was your number five <laughs> well Quite frankly, before I get to my number five, I need to say this. There will be no Iowa games included in my list, honorable mentions, or my top five. And there's a reason for because that. Because Iowa is our true rival. Nope. Oh. They're Iowa. I don't care. They have shitty corn. They have shitty fans. Um, and I just don't... Uh, keep waving at the Children's Hospital folks because it's the only redeemable quality about your team. So if that makes us a rival, fine, that makes us a rival. I refuse to acknowledge the fact. Um, once we beat them, then yeah, I'll call them our rival. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it sure sounds like a rivalry in denial. It's in purgatory. It's well, a rivalry you know, in purgatory. It's just waiting. Know, I, I just can't bring my, I'm, I'm, I'm channeling my inner Tweety from the Big Red, or Big, or whatever the hell they're Cobcast. That's the one, yeah. He never called him a rival either. And I missed the Cobcast, damn it. Those guys were great. I love those guys. We'll have to hit up Tweety. My number, yeah, definitely do. Definitely do. He'd be welcome on this one. And shoot, the other two guys would be as well. Um, as far as the losses, uh, the first one on my list, or the number five on my list, is 2014 at Wisconsin. Ugh. Amir Abdullah was dinged, admittedly, going into that game. So he got hurt the week before against Purdue. He gave all of his mojo to to, to Miami, <laughs> to Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. I think he spent whatever mojo he had in the Miami game the few weeks before, which is one we'll get to as well. But yeah, Wisconsin. We what? I think we jumped out to what seventeen to three or something like that in the first quarter, and then then Melvin Gordon happened in the second quarter, and we. As Charlie McBride so eloquently put it when he was interviewed later that week, we couldn't tackle a fat lady in a mud puddle if she was if she was holding the last sandwich on earth. So it was it was horrible. He ran through so many arms. And you could see our team do exactly what they did in many of the losses again in that last season. I know I'm jumping ahead here a few years, but that last season when Riley was our coach, you could see the team quit. 
in many of those games. If you look at the scores, we quit a lot in 2017. And I think that 2014 game against Wisconsin, I think that defense quit. Uh, uh, 408 yards later, I'm pretty sure Melvin Gordon said, yeah, those boys quit. <laughs> so, And he didn't even run in the fourth freaking quarter. He did all that in the second and third quarter. So insane. just insane. I can't remember what they ended up rushing for as a total for a team, but I think he had well over three quarters of it. It was just that, that game killed me because I had a bet. I had a bet with one of your Marine buddies from boot camp. Um, his dad, or not your Marine buddy, but his dad, he and I bet that we would put the, uh, no, that would have been the next year. My bad. Disregard. My bad. Disregard. Disregard. That's not a memorable loss (laughs) in 2015. It was painful, but it wasn't memorable. Unload. Um, Show clear. Yeah. 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 Well, editing. We might throw (laughs) editing in right there, or maybe we won't because we're organic here. Um, But yeah, yeah, that's my number five. So your number four, right, is what we're up to. Yeah, yep. number four. Another uh, one number f- we only scored in single digits. God dang it. Yes, this I was sucks. about to say. It's a, it's a very, very low-scoring games, even though I would say that this game had way more of an excitement to it. It was just an all... It yeah. was just dominant defense. Um, just an incredibly defensively dominating game. I said it twice, but... You know, had to reiterate it. Well, yeah, and you had um, a lot of molestation at the bottom of a pile, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes. So this would be the two. <laughs> there was the uh, 2010 Texas A&M game where we lost nine to six, or you know, it could be a six nine where Ben Cotton gets finger banged in the in a in a fumble recovery, uh, where you know six nine would have been a would have been a better uh, better outcome, better so to better speak. outcome, but. So, you know, so to speak. Um, <laughs> this would be the uh, salty part, folks. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, the only thing I remember about that game was just being infuriated with how little I knew about Texas A&M's home crowd and kind of the the home crowd advantage that they get. Because uh, yeah. I just didn't know that their fans were, were freaking bonkers. Um, I was just kind of ignorant of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, I was still, still young, you know, 2010 shoot. I don't even know how old I'd be, uh, like 14, no 16. I'd be 16. You know, I just didn't know. I didn't know that they were just loud, crazy. They're called the 12th man for the reason, for a good reason. Yes. Sir. Um, but I just hated them. I just hated them after that game. Uh, that was also the same game that, uh, Bo, Polini went nuts just the whole game. And then at the end of the game, when it was still on TV, he was like walking across the field and he just stares down the refs like like a freaking predator (laughs) and then beelines to him and just starts fingering him in the chest. And it's just like you this, you know, derogatory term blah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, God. This is a uh, a train this wreck. Is, this, it's not going to be it easy was a for the rest wreck. of the year. No, nope. So that, that's kind of my that's that's my number four. I just like I said, the I think I was just more mad about the officiating because the officiating was just awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that's a very common Husker trope uh, is to just blame the refs, but that one was just bad. 
there were so many, so many holding calls that were just so piddle shit. They were just so bad. Right. Um, but yeah, whatever, you know, whatever my memory can serve from then. I tried to watch the highlights of the game, but there weren't many because it was all a defensive game. And I don't know if you've ever watched a defensive highlight reel of a game, but it just gets really stale. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, something is forming. No, it's not punt. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> there's just, there's only so much of that I could stand to watch. So I didn't finish the video and that's as much as I could remember. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do remember being mad though. I was very <laughs> mad after that game. Yeah, I would just be, I'd be very mindful that if you go on Google, do not just Google Ben Cotton gets finger because <laughs> I'm sure you will find something you're not looking for. You'll need to go to YouTube and be a little less specific. Yeah, you might not or... want that. You might want to, <laughs> you might want to go to the Bo Pelini loses his game and that might probably, you might find like 20 different ones there because he lost his a lot starting with Oklahoma in 2008, but that's not on my list either. Yeah, I didn't put any Oklahoma on my list, win or loss. One of them that is on my list is the 2004 Texas Tech game. That would have been the first year that Bill Callahan, that four-year case of the flu, as our favorite guy, Bill Dolman, is so apt to put it. Um, Yeah, that was when I kind of realized our defensive coordinator is an idiot. Because if you're giving up 70 points to freaking Texas Tech, a team that not even 10 years before you dropped damn near 70 points on in their house with an option offense, you know you've got problems. And holy smokes, I just remember seeing Callahan on the sidelines looking like a deer in the headlights. Not sure what the blazes it was he was watching because he wasn't used to seeing this kind of offense. Uh, that Texas Tech had out on the field. It was a spread. It was shotgun only. It was kind of the advent of the zone read because you saw a little bit of that. And it just was, we couldn't stop there. We couldn't stop anybody. And then we decided to change quarterbacks. And that poor Bo Davis kid never played another down (laughs) after getting intercepted like three times in six pass attempts. I mean, it was just horrific to watch and uh yeah we had not lost a game that badly almost ever and that's when i kind of thought okay our run of what we have always been is probably over i still thought we'd probably make a bowl game for the 37th year in a row uh but no that wasn't gonna happen either so thanks billy c for ending that streak but (laughs) You know, I, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember that game. All I know miserable. is that I just, I just looked up the game, um, and honestly, this was probably one of those games that I was just out in the backyard at Grandma and Grandpa's, whatever, and just, just ignoring the whole game. Uh, and yeah, I just looked it up. I forgot about the name of Joe Daly. Yes, Joe Daly. Yes, yes. God, I remember just not liking that guy vicariously through you. Um, and yeah, eight turnovers that game for Nebraska. So that's no bueno. No, it was, it was, it was just terrible. Absolutely terrible. And I'll be honest, folks, um, as much as I do a lot of work, um, producing the podcast and getting it all out there, I'm not much of a, a stats guy. So 
the research that goes behind what I talk about is mostly from memory. So Scott's really good about doing that. He he was able to come up with, with all those stats right off the top of his head. And I'm sure you could hear him looking them up because I could. <laughs> he was tapping on his I have a I have a mechanical gaming keyboard that's really clicky clacky because I like the aesthetic of the <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, you can just hear me look yeah. it up and no, I I none of my like uh, I mean a lot of it's from memory barely, but right. I have to look right. stuff up cuz I'm terrible <laughs> at these at these memorable things. So, my number 3 is going to be the 2019 loss to Iowa. This one stings particularly more than any of the last six, I think it's six losses in a row to Iowa now or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to count because it just stings a little bit more, but I was at this game. Um, it was also the last game in Memorial stadium before the pandemic kicked off. Right. Um, so it was, it was just awful that that was the last in, in, memorial stadium experience that i've had besides the spring game we just had that recently so that was neat um but it was just devastating to watch us come back we were down 24 to 10 at one point in the game uh having it having it tied at 24 going into the fourth quarter and then honestly just having the refs you know go figure the refs um bad coaching and play calling and lack of execution be the reason why we lose we even like like that we had the ball, like we had the game handed to us when, when Mikel, I think it's like Mikel, Mikel, uh, Mikel Sargent, he fumbles the ball. There's two and a half minutes left. Yes. And we still didn't do shit with it. Mm-hmm. And Iowa has less than 40 seconds left. And in Iowa fashion, they get halfway down the field in two plays and get a last second field goal to win the game as per usual. And, uh, Keith, uh, frick, I couldn't even say his name. Fuck <laughs> Keith Duncan for not only blowing kisses, but having probably the worst name of all time because I couldn't even say it. And the name Keith just blah, and Duncan blah. And yeah, uh, he's just, <sighs> I'm just still really salty about that game. And yep. Yep. yeah, so, uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about that game. Um, it was cold. It was cold. I was next to a really mm-hmm. nice lady, though. She was really nice. Like we said earlier in this podcast, everybody was screaming Luke. And when I was <laughs> reminiscing back on, uh, I was listening to Adrian Martinez's podcast, uh, and he said, like, hearing, mm-hmm. hearing the crowd boo was, like, so, like, incredibly powerful in the worst way possible like having right you know i mean honestly that's like the first time in recent memory where i mean i've heard the crowd boo at the refs i've heard the crowd boo but not at a player not at our yeah. own guy um and i wonder if a lot of that was just us screaming luke and he just had no idea that we were just yelling mm-hmm. luke's name um, but there was some definite booze in there. But that was just a thought I had there just now. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's I wonder mm-hmm. if that was the game that that really, really fed up Martinez's head. Could be. Yeah. I 
I can completely understand that. And I can understand that simply from the, the perspective of watching what happened to our head coach, uh, back in 1997 in our second game against, ironically, UCF. Um, he was a starter and it was Osborne made it a priority every game especially, well, every non-conference game, he always made sure his backup quarterback got meaningful snaps in the first half of the game. And it was agreed that our backup quarterback, Frankie London, was going to go in for the third series of the game. I think we scored once. Maybe we only got a field goal in the first two series, and then London comes in, leads us right down for a touchdown. And then when Frost came back out for the next series, the entire student section was booing. And he took that extremely personally. Don't blame him. And I think Osborne did too. He mentioned it in his post-game press conference. So I kind of understand where Adrian's coming from. And I'm pretty sure coach kind of went up to him and said, been there, done that. Don't let it get to you. Come back stronger. So yeah, that's that's got to be tough. I can't imagine being a 19, 20-year-old kid and having 90,000 people or at least a good portion of them seemingly boo you even though i don't know i don't think it's any better if y'all are saying Lou. <laughs> it's right? pretty much the same it's thing the same just different thing. <laughs> yeah it's just like no we're not booing you dude we just don't want you in the game anymore <laughs> we like the other guy <laughs> i don't know what's worse you know <laughs> so, yeah 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 that's rough oh my oh, that's rough. man that's like yeah i thought of- but yeah i I do, by the way, in case anybody that's listening to this gives a rat's ass, I do like his podcast. Granted, there's only been one episode so far, but it was very insightful. I enjoyed it. Definitely worth listening to. Um, so my number three, which is what we're at, right? Yeah, yeah, we're at three. Yeah. Because I haven't talked about 2002 at Penn State. To me, this game was really significant, not just because we lost 40 to 8, but it was the first time I had seen Nebraska really get their asses handed to them since back in the early 90s when we would go to the Orange Bowl. Um, because that was usually where we got our asses handed to us because we were running a old school, big, <laughs> slow defense that worked really good in the Big 8, which was very run heavy back in those days, but just didn't work real well well against the, you know, one back, uh, three wide receiver sets that the Southern teams were running at the time. Uh, And then 2002 comes along, we go to Penn State. From my understanding, that was some of the worst treatment that our fans have ever received at a road game. And this includes Colorado, the infamous place where they take a whiz in their beer cups and then dump it on our fans as we're leaving the stadium. You know, that's the kind of fan treatment you get at Colorado. Uh, But many people I know that have gone to Penn State in 2002 said it was way worse. Not because they were throwing stuff at them, but just the way they were talked to was just awful. So to lose the game like we did was painful, but knowing how we were treated uh, made it in some ways more memorable. Not just the loss, but just the lack of respect that uh, our fan base was shown and um yeah the fact that our team did not respond well it was awful that that season you would have been young enough to to not remember this but we had kind of a uniform change that year and we had like these stripes that went down our pants and up the side of our uniforms 
and they looked really weird. They were really fat and wide. Um, I've seen they, pictures of they, them, and they look awful. They were, they were god-awful, and it almost looked like we were slower when we wore the uniforms, just by the way they looked aesthetically. And that game especially, it was just like, wow. The only person on the field for Nebraska that looked like they belonged on the field with Penn State was Jamal Lord. <laughs> and that's saying something. Uh, because we just nobody else could could do anything. He was he was it. So um, that was painful. That game was difficult. And I remember, you know, we had a friend over to watch the game with us over at Grandma and Grandpa's because that's what we were doing mostly was watching the game over at Grandma and Grandpa's every year, uh, at least four or five times a year. I think we went over there, especially bigger games. Um, so yeah, that was that was tough. <laughs> Holy smokes, that was that was not a fun game. I don't I don't miss those days. I'm hoping the blowouts are done because you know, other than Ohio State, I don't think there's anybody in the Big Ten that could really beat us that badly anymore. I think we're catching up. So anyway, on to your number two. Alright, yes. My number two is gonna be in 2013, we played UCLA, and it was a uh, it was the second it was the second game in the little back to back series we had with them from 2012 to 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, the only reason why I'm picking this game is that it was the first Husker game I ever went to. Finally, was able to score some tickets. I think I had, yeah, I had a job. I was like, what was it? 17 18 years old um scrounged up some money picked the ucla game just because it was going to be a revenge game for me and i was just wrong i was very very wrong about (laughs) about the game i actually went with a good friend of mine my buddy ryan he and i went to the game Mm -hmm. together uh and we sat I wondered why our tickets were so cheap. At this point, I I still wasn't quite aware of the stadium setup and where away fans would sit. And uh, we got tickets that sat directly below the UCLA guest section. And yeah, at first it was kind of fun because we were 21 to 3. We had a motivating lead before halftime. Um I think, yeah, UCLA got a touchdown right before halftime. That's what I have in my notes. Um, so it had been 21 to twenty-one to 10 going into halftime. I was like, all right, we feel pretty good. But I had got uh, I had got my sneaky snacks. I got all my snacks before halftime. So during halftime, I basically was in the stadium the whole time. And I got to hear old boomer UCLA fans in their cardigans and their sweater vests all rambling on about how Nebraska fans live in the past and how they haven't been relevant forever and which was an incredibly weird thing for a UCLA fan to be talking about um and then UCLA scored 28 points right. in a row shutting out Nebraska for the rest of the game um and it was just it was just horrible. It was, it was, it was just, I, it just left such a bad taste in my mouth. Um, that, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, it was good. It was a good bad taste because then I was just, the addiction of going to Husker games was, was 
right then and there because it's like, oh, I gotta go, I gotta go to a different game and get something right. of use, which I don't know what the next game would have been. I think it would have been our uh, the uh, twenty fourteen uh, uh, Miami game, uh, which we will get to, and I suppose no, that- that's not the next one. That's not the next one. Nope. Nope. Okay. We went to a game before the Miami one. Oh, and it's yes. because there's a team that I refuse to mention yes. as a member of the loss. I so. forgot about that because I was like, I felt like there was a, uh, I felt like there was a, <laughs> another one that we went to because it was like, oh, okay, yeah, we can make up for the UCLA game with this with this game, and it was yeah. by no means a makeup game. Yeah, um, it was terrible. We were down to our third string quarterback. So God, that yeah, was bad. it was not a fun game. See, this is where my all. memory is not good because I, I have to look things up <laughs> to know <laughs> what happens. But yeah, man, I just I just did not like that game. UCLA, yeah, we lost forty one to twenty one in our own stadium and me and my buddy, mm-hmm. we stayed there the whole time. So what was your uh that was your number two. Oh, I really don't want to talk about it, but I have to, I suppose, since it's on my list. And that would be the 2012 Big Ten Championship. The one Big Ten Championship Nebraska has gotten to against Wisconsin. And, you know, we had just beaten them earlier in the season. And in most cases in the 2012 season, the 31 points that Nebraska scored in that Big Ten Championship game would have been enough to win. Yeah. Uh, the problem was we let them score seventy. Whoops! <laughs> so, so it was it was the the uh, infamous unstoppable jet sweep game um, because and I think there was a reason they did that. I think there was um, they knew that we were pretty stiff up the middle for one, but they also knew that two of our defensive tackles that had started in the game earlier that year were injured. So we were starting a defensive end as a defensive tackle that day. And I think we ended up, I can't remember. I think there was a third string defensive tackle playing next to him. I mean, it was just, we were hurting up front for sure. And then they just ran nothing but jet sweeps. It seems with James White, and Melvin Gordon and huh, shades of what was up coming in a couple of uh, years with Melvin Gordon. Right. Yep. Um, and we just, it, as memorable as the loss was, it also was. It also contained one of the most memorable plays in Husker history in the last couple of decades with Taylor Martinez in his, it was supposed to be a pass, but he ended up scrambling around, retreats all the way back to like the eight-yard line, and then just dodges and darts his way to a touchdown. I think it was early in the second quarter, something like that. And I'm like, okay, maybe we've got a chance here. But, you know, he was already hobbled. He still wasn't 100%. So even him at running at 75-80% was still better than most of the Wisconsin defense. But they shut that stuff down for the rest of the game. They just they had a dude watching him for the rest of the game. So uh, And we couldn't do anything else. You know, I don't know if Amir wasn't quite right or what the case was. Because I didn't see the game. I had to listen to the game. I was driving through Utah, I believe, that night. And uh, I didn't get to see the game, and it just was, and I didn't even get to hear the Nebraska call of the game. I had to listen to some freaking national call on 
satellite radio or something. And it was just miserable. Just freaking miserable. And there's a jet sweep to Melvin Gordon. Oh, look, 20, 30, 40, 50. I was like, oh, shit, not again. You know, it just seemed like every other play, that's what I was saying. Oh, shit, ah, here not we again. Go. So, yeah, that, that was the game. It was the oh, shit, not again game. So Was that also the one, correct me if I'm wrong, or here we go with a memory test. Is Wasn't Kenny that the Bell? one? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Kenny Bell just lights up a dude, unsuspecting, knocks him into next freaking Tuesday. Absolutely uh, clean block. Clean block, just lights him up. Was It's still like, if you look up like football hit or something <laughs> on a GIF, yeah. it's like, it's <laughs> the, it's always like right there in the top five or ten results of just Kenny yep. Bell just devastating somebody's life. <laughs> yep. Caught a 15-yard penalty, which took a touchdown off the board that could have brought, I think would have brought us within 14 points had that call stand or had that touchdown stood. So Jamal Turner, I believe, ran that one back. So, yep. Yep. That was, oh, God, I still remember seeing the highlight. I heard it on the coverage, on the radio coverage for Sirius Satellite Radio, and, and even the national guys, they were like, no. That was a perfectly clean block. They shouldn't be throwing a flag, but it was just so, so stinking vicious. It was what it was, you know, and it's just a <sighs> emblematic of Husker football of the last 25 years or so. It's just one player two, and it seems like our team just, just folds. And that's spanned more than one coach too. And I think there's a, I don't know, there's a Paul that's been cast over the Husker football team, and I'm not sure. What the hell we have to do? Do we need to, you know, do like Major League and sacrifice a live chicken or some shit on on the turf at uh, Folsom Field in Colorado to get rid of the demons that were put upon our team after that loss in 2001, which we'll, we'll get to, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. What's your number one? My number one would be the 2009 uh, Big 12 Championship Oh, Got to relive this one again. Thanks. Um, yes, yes, and <laughs> yeah, which you had you had spoke about, but it just was it was so horrendous for me as a young child to to witness such traumatizing things. I mean, our defense got on them. They 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 pretty much single handedly won us that game, considering that we only only scored four times, and all of them were through the uprights, but. Honestly, Sue, once again, almost single-handedly won that game for us. Uh, we were only able to produce 106 total yards of offense, but I completely agree with you. We, If you watch that game front to back, we looked like the better team. Just, yeah, we just had them shut down, and even if we had a B-minus offense that year, yeah, we would have been able to win that game, but... We were just a we were just a below C offense at that point, but yeah, it was it would have it could have possibly produced the greatest upset in Big Twelve history in the BCS era, aside from what I think is is probably the greatest Big Twelve upset like that the Big Twelve has seen, and you can look in any sort of football highlight reels on YouTube. Uh, in that Boise State Oklahoma game, um, just hands down craziest game I've ever watched. 
It was uh, so much fun. So much fun to watch it. Two, wasn't it two back-to-back Statue of Liberty plays? It was, it was something, it was something like that they did, they did a Statue of Liberty play and then they did a fake one that they still used. I don't remember what it was, but it was, it was cool. Um, but to go back to the game, uh, Sue should have won the Heisman that year. Yep. Um, and I reckon if we, if we actually pulled off the upset there, I, I, if, if Sue didn't win the Heisman that year, after that game, if we right. would have won it, I what is the Heisman anymore? Because it's it can't just be the best quarterback or running back in the nation, or I guess a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Shoot, I just forgot his name. Uh, Devontae Smith. The Devontae Smith, freaking awesome. He's like the Will Bolt of of Heisman winners. Um, I don't mean to interrupt you, but does it seem to you, because this is what the Heisman seems like to me, four or five years quarterback, hey, we got to throw a bone to a position group once in a while. Oh, but yeah. Otherwise, it's a quarterback award, right? Oh, yeah. That's at least what I see. Yep. That's that's kind of how I see it, and which I think is unfair because mm-hmm. it just because the quarterback is out there doing, honestly, the most, like it's got to be the most like frustrating position because you have so many multivariant complexes that you have to be on point with. So competence wise, uh, yeah, I guess it's probably the most challenging position and therefore probably earns the most merit. And honestly, I mean, it's, it's just in pop culture history, uh, that the quarterback gets the most chicks. So, um, (laughs) it's just, it's the way that the the cards fall, but I think that there needs to be a different type of meritocracy involved with with the best player. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. I mean, honestly, a freaking punter. If a punter did a damn good job that year, just blowing people away with kicking the ball all the way down to the one seventeen times in a row, um, and perfect sixty five yard punts every single time, like give the guy the damn award, you know, like. Yeah. I, I don't care who it is. Um, like, honestly, I thought, uh, was it, was it last year? Um, who was it? Uh, the defensive end for, uh, Ohio state chase, chase, uh, Oh, chase young. Chase couple young. Years ago. That dude was a beast. Chase young was like, he reminded me of an Indomitian Sioux. <laughs> like yeah. just there, what you had to, you had to do, everything that your offensive line could possibly put in front of him to stop him. Otherwise you weren't, you weren't going yeah. to stop him. And for a big 10 pallet to have to say that is pretty impressive. But anyway, so to just get, get back yeah. on track. Um, I actually went to my room and cried after that game. Like it's the only game where physical tears rolled down my face in like a multiplicity of, of tears. I was so heartbroken. It hurt so bad. Um, It was unbelievable. Like, it was just like, I don't even know how to compare it to anything. It was like having the world, like the entire world dangled in front of my adolescent face and then having it ripped away with Mac Brown's big ass fucking ugly poop covered finger. That was so shoved far (laughs) up the ref's ass that I just, nope, one second, nope, one second, like, 
Yep. Whatever. Yeah, I just yep. I just was so I was so mad. Um Texas's fan base still holds a very, very special place in the pit of my bowels that I just still will always hate Texas. Oh, so they they're basically what you wipe clean after you take it. Yes, them. yes. Yeah, gotcha. Um, that burnt that burnt poop orange that looks good on cars, but not a football uniform. <laughs> Too much fireball one night orange. Yeah, yes. I know what you're talking about. And yeah, so probably the worst and most entitled fan base in all of college football aside from Iowa, but at least Texas has something to show for it, but whatever. That's my number one. That's my number one. Numero uno. Yep, I hear you. Well, my number one is, I think, the game that kind of started the slide for Nebraska to be where exactly they are now. And that's that 2001 Colorado game that I kind of hinted at when I was talking earlier because I think had we won that game in 2019 in Colorado, we wouldn't needed to beat them 62-36 to 36 like they did us. Uh, shit, if we'd have won that game 17 to nothing like it was at halftime, I'd have been perfectly happy because I think we would have exercised some of those demons. Now, let's be honest here. We did not lose the rest of our games at Folsom Field after losing in 2001. We did win more games there, but that game, I think, literally stole the mystique that was the Nebraska football program. And two years later, we had an athletic director that decided even though we beat them that day and our coach was a nine-win coach, that because the three losses we had that year were basically blowouts, that wasn't good enough for him. And uh, he blows him out of the water. And next thing you know, we bring in Bill Callahan and we've basically been searching for the ability to get back to where we had been before as far as want to. As far as execution, I don't give a rat's ass what kind of scheme we run. Defense, offense, I don't care. What I care about is playing it like Nebraska plays football, which is 100% all the time. Make sure that that guy across from you hates it when he gets up the next day because he hurts all over. That's what we used to be, even when we get our asses kicked in the Orange Bowl. In the early 90s, even the old Miami teams who hated our guts always said the most physical team they ever played was Nebraska. After kicking the shit out of us, they'd always say we were way more physical than they were. So, we need to get back to that. And I think 2001, in so many ways, exposed the fact that we were slowly slipping away from that. And then that process got accelerated in 2003 once uh, Solich was shown the door. And he's proven to be a good coach. He's been the most winning coach at Ohio University that they've ever seen. They've been to bowl games far more often since he got hired there than we have since uh, he left. So um, 2001 for me is the most painful loss because it, to me, signaled the fact that we're not Nebraska anymore. And I hate even uttering those words in one sentence. We're not Nebraska anymore and we haven't been since the day after Thanksgiving 2001. Been close, but not quite there. So, that's what we've got for this episode, folks. Um, I think I'll just play the outro music, which you're probably hearing right about now. And uh, 
Next episode are our top five most memorable wins. And I'm pretty sure most of you aren't going to agree with us, but <laughs> it's our podcast. And we don't give it. Talk to you later. Go Big Red! If you'd like to contact us, you can reach us through our Facebook page at facebook.com slash genredpod or by email at genrpodcast at gmail.com. Our YouTube channel is the Generation Red Podcast. And you can download and listen to the audio-only version of our show on all your favorite podcast applications, such as iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and many others. Make sure you search for us, subscribe to the show, and leave us a review. It helps us get noticed. Anyway, we really appreciate you listening to this episode today. And until next time, go Big Red and stay sweet and salty, Husker Nation.